Okay, y'all, we are in Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 25. And this whole section, 12 through 25, I know you see the little subheadings that kind of break it all up. But you know what it's all really about? Christ ministry begins. It's all about Christ. It's all about what He's doing, and it's what He's done. It's all about Him. I have told you many times that there are, there, well, let me approach it this way. There are plenty of books on preaching, plenty of conferences, plenty of seminars, and I know that they have to be a lot more right than I am in many other things. But one thing that I will hold to that I think is absolutely right is that the passage can only mean what the passage was originally intended to mean, and that we can't tweak it and we can't twist it to make it be more about us and for us. I think that what is most beneficial to believers, and I hold to this very firmly, is that the Scripture just simply needs to be taught. The Lord will give application. Sometimes He gives me that application as I'm preaching, and it's like, Ricky, pull it all together in this way, these action steps, but I think what you and I need is so much more of Jesus and less of us in these sermons. Like, that's the intent, and therefore, I still have to fight a tendency whenever I get to to certain points whenever Jesus is calling the disciples. And I'm like, oh man, and this person, this person, this person. And then I have to go back because I trust the Lord's leading and I delete this whole thing. And I realize that that was me trying to make the sermon about something else and not what it's truly about. This is all about the beginning of his ministry. And that's what we're going to look at. So, so we're going to read it. Um, and then I'll tell you, i like, got three big categories that I think help us to understand maybe some wonderful things that we might just be missing. But there is a passage, there's a scripture, that when the Son of Man is lifted up, He will draw all men unto Himself. That is the philosophy of our church growth and our kingdom advancement for Cross Life Fort Smith. We lift Him up. He draws men and women as he will, and we're okay with whatever he does. So that's the goal of our preaching and our singing and our prayers, is that he is elevated and that he draws men and women to his side. So to clarify, whenever we prayed for the lost, that was simply so that God's kingdom could grow wherever it is that he decides for his kingdom to grow, not so that Cross Life can have more members. There's a, the Baptists send out a survey every year, and, and it... Uh, there's only one way to say it. It's how pastors say it. They would like to know how many baptisms you have, what your budgets are, and how many butts are in the seats. Like, that's kind of the way. It's a little crass way of saying it. But that's, and they want to record all those things. And, and I get it. They're trying to get a scope of everything that's going on. I, I get that. But there's a whole lot of kingdom advancement that has nothing to do with budgets or rear ends and seats. Okay, it has everything to do with how God is changing lives and growing them in different contexts wherever he sends them. And so with all that said, we want to focus on Christ. Christ will do with his church what he will. We just want to be equipped to go and, and, and to marvel at what he's doing here as well. So here's what it says in Matthew chapter 4. Let's lift up the Son of Man so that he may draw all men and women to his side. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he, Jesus, withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. 
the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region in shadow of death, on them a light has shone, I'm sorry, has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat, and their father followed him. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those who have seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Lord, Give us understanding and insight. And help this not to just be a scholarly activity of moving through words and passages. But Lord, do what your word we know says you do. Lord, you awaken hearts. Lord, I pray that you grant us repentance if we need it, conviction as we we see it. Lord, but Lord, may we know your word and trust it to be true. Lord, may it it cut to the marrow and divide, Lord, within us so that we can truly be a people who are growing in you. But Lord, what a quick passage we could just brush past and totally miss the glory of what you're doing. And that's what I pray we don't do. I pray, Lord, that you help us to understand these passages. And the light that dawned again dawns within us and we marvel at you Jesus Christ, because you're worthy of all glory and honor. And so, Lord, I pray that you be with my speech so that there is no hindrance, but, Lord, that even if they're stumbling and fumbling, Lord, that at the end we still know that you alone are God and good, and that's what we marvel at. Lord, give us understanding, we pray. Amen. Okay, so, so three big points, and I know you've got your, your headings there because every good Bible has a good set of headings, right? Okay, but they all say different ones, maybe. Here are my three main points that we're going to kind of break it down into. One, Jesus' public ministry begins as John ends. You're going to hear these again. Number two, Jesus' followers respond to his call immediately. And the last thing we see is that Jesus' ministry was magnificent from the beginning. So this is all about Jesus Christ's ministry. It's about his ministry beginning as John's ends. It's about his followers responding to his call immediately. And it's about the beginning of his ministry was magnificent from the beginning. That's the the roadmap here. And I get to, you know, quote, cheat and put sub points in there along the way. So let's look at this first one. Jesus' public ministry begins as John ends. There's some unique things happening in 12 through 17 that for years and years, I just, man, I just breeze right by them. Why is that even significant? Why do I need to know? What does this even do? But we have found that when we slow down, then there's so much to marvel at. First point, Jesus' public ministry begins as John's ends. 
Look at verse 12. Now when he had heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he, Jesus, went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. And here's the prophecy. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness, have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region in shadow of death, on them light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I will just tell you from the very beginning that you're going to feel like, man, we're dwelling in this first point a really, 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 really long time. And we are. Like this first main point that Jesus' public ministry, I'm sorry, that Jesus' public ministry begins as John ends, there's about four sub-points here. But then after that, the next two points kind of roll from it because everything is kind of packed right here into the beginning. And if you're like me, then one of the reasons that you probably zoned out or you have a tendency to just kind of brush past this is because these names mean nothing to us. Naphtali, Zebulun, Galilee, Later, we're going to get Decapolis. Like, what, what do we do with all of that? So we're, we're going to just kind of have an, an understanding of what's going on. I'm horrible at geography. I drive to Conway every year. Like, at this, well, we're going to drive back there con, um, on Friday. We were there yesterday. We're going to drive back on Friday. I still have no idea how long it's going to take me. Like, I still get in. I'm like, okay, we're going that direction. And it's just like, I just don't do geography. I don't do mapping of where places are. I, and the truth is, I just don't care. Like, I don't care, like, where all these places are in proportion to one another in, in Arkansas. I just need to know, like, I put it into the GPS and I can get there. Like, I can look on a map. I can Google it. There it is. So if I do that with Arkansas and I do it in modern, what am I going to do with the ancient world whenever it's cities that I don't care about? I just go right past them, right? So there's something cool here that we're going to see in a moment. First thing, though, we got to do is let's deal with verse 12. So the first sub-point is that John's public ministry comes to an end. And, and we see that in verse 12. Now, when he had heard that John had been arrested. Okay, so if you're looking at your Bible, John just baptized him. Jesus goes to the desert for his temptations. And then now we find out that at some point, John has been arrested. And we actually get some of this a little bit later. Um, and so we're going to turn there real quick just to, to get a grasp of what's going on. Go to Matthew 14. At our rate, we will probably be preaching Matthew 14 next year. Um, that's a safe, safe assumption since the end of the year is coming up. But Matthew chapter 14, just a, a glimpse of what's to come. But what we, as you're turning there, Jesus' public ministry seems to take off as John's is ending. John has been in the wilderness crying out, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's been baptizing and Jesus was baptized by John. He goes to the desert, to the wilderness for his temptation. And now we find out that John's been taken captive. Look at Matthew 14. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus. So it's later in Matthew. And he said to his servants, watch this. This is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. Which is a weird thing to say. okay? Because for Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. And though he had wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they had held him to be a prophet. 
But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, Herodias, she said, Give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry. But because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl. And she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it. And they went and told Jesus. Okay, but watch. Okay, go all the way back up to the top. At that time... Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus, and he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. So at the moment of verse 1 and 2, Herod is hearing about the fame of Jesus, and he says, John the Baptist is being raised from the dead because we've already killed him. So everything else in all those verses is giving us a backstory. But by Matthew 14, we find out that by that point, John has been beheaded. He's dead. At some point... In Matthew chapter 4, by Matthew chapter 4, he's been taken into custody. And at some point before Matthew 14, he will have been killed. But Jesus hears that he has been taken into custody. And we're going to go all the way back to Matthew 4 now. John's not dead yet, but his death is imminent. And whenever he's taken into imprisonment, he's taken captive, then Jesus withdraws to Galilee and then he goes to Nazareth. His public ministry is begins. We will touch more on John. He does appear a couple more times before we get to to Matthew 14. But I just want you to understand, like, this is a significant moment for Jesus. And it's a thing that we can see happen where John's ministry ends, his public ministry ends. He's taken into custody. And so he's no longer in the wilderness proclaiming repentance. He is no longer the wild man in the desert. He is about to depart from this world. And he's going to be remembered throughout all time as one of the greatest prophets, if not the greatest prophet, the lone voice preparing the world for Jesus and presenting Jesus to the world. He's taken into custody. And so now Jesus is pressed, is pressing into that world. Like we see this, this transfer happening at this moment. Number two, Jesus chooses Galilee. And that's significant. I didn't know how significant this would be. Nor do you. I can tell. Okay, so Jesus chooses Galilee. And my first thought, if I'm being honest, is who cares? Like he chose a place. Like he had to start somewhere. Who cares, right? And this is what I will tell you is that this is where history will help us and knowledge will humble us. This is one of the times it it like really, as I started thinking on this, I just felt kind of this sinking motion. I began to marvel again and again at what's going on. Here's what you need to know. Just very simple. Galilee was a mixed population that was somewhat despised by the racially pure citizens of Judea. So Galilee was composed of the Jews and the Gentiles. But a lot more of the Gentiles in Judea, that's where the racially pure um, Ju- I'm sorry, the racially pure citizens of Judea were. These were the real Jews. They were in Judea. You weren't holding strong enough to it. You were of mixed race. Well, then you could go to Galilee, which was a region. And there were other cities within that region. And so Jesus, get this, he began amongst the Jews and the Gentiles. I think that's amazing. That's crazy to me. He began his ministry in the same context to which he's going to thrust his disciples to the rest of the world. 
He, there's a straight line from the moment whenever he calls his disciples. We're going to get this here in a second. There's a straight line of follow me and I will make you fishers of men. From that point of that commissioning to the great commission where he sends them out. He goes to the Jews and the Gentiles and he's proclaiming the kingdom of God. He could have gone anywhere to begin his public ministry. He could have asserted himself in the temple. And what he does is he goes to Galilee, the lowly esteemed Galilee. In fact, he was from Nazareth. And to be a Nazarene was a bad thing. Uh, hold your place there. Go to John chapter 1, verse 46. Because remember, he goes to Galilee, he goes to this region, and then he goes to Nazareth, where he was raised. And in John chapter 1, verse 46, it says, Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. I mean, why in the world would, would Nathaniel even say that? Can anything good? And again, this is where history helps us and the knowledge it just humbles us because we understand there's something so much bigger going on. Nazareth, in the Galilean region, y'all listen to this, was held of such low esteem. And it's from this Nazareth that Jesus not only grew up, but to which he returned and began doing ministry. He goes to the lowest he goes to the disregarded. He goes to, to the Jews and the Gentiles. And that's where he begins his ministry. Before Jesus departs the world from the world, he says to his disciples, gives them the Great Commission, which comes down to go and make disciples and proclaim God's glory. He sends them and us to do what he himself already did. To be like Christ, we must be like Christ. And he goes to the lowest. He goes to those in need. That's what we are supposed to do. He did not live his life serving. I'm sorry, let me, let me slow down. He did not live his life serving others and going to them to please hear me and how much I love us all here. So that we could just hunker in on a Sunday and call that obedience. He modeled for us what it should look like. He could have asserted himself and simply told everyone, come to me and establish his place and just expect everyone to come. He does tell us to come to him. I got that one verse in my head, come to me, all you who are weary laden, and I will give you rest. That's not what I'm talking about. He didn't say, I'm the king, come find me. But he went on mission and he began to proclaim the glory of God. And as Christ began in Galilee, so we, may we just simply begin. Now this, this is who he is. He went to the despised region. He went to the people lost in darkness. He went to the valley of the shadow of death and he began there. This is our king is what I want you to know. Like this is who he is. He goes into the darkness and so that he may shed his light and he calls his disciples throughout the rest of time to do the same. But that's where he begins is in Galilee. Lowly Galilee, despised Nazareth. That's where he begins. Third thing, look at, the, look at the prophecy that's fulfilled. I don't want to get into the nuances of the prophecy. I just want to simply state, you know what? Prophecy is fulfilled. Matthew is clarifying yet again that prophecy is fulfilled. And do you know why? Because Jesus Christ will fulfill and fulfill and fulfill all prophecies because the Word of God is what drives and controls His life. 
He can't not fulfill what God has called him to. Listen to this. I just wanted to reflect on this for a little while while I was reading, while I was studying. Here's what it means for the Word of God to drive and control Jesus Christ's life. He will fulfill his Father's expectations because there is none greater than his Father for him. It is why he would come for us, because of the Father's love for us. It is why he would be nailed to the cross for us, because of the Father's will for him. It is why he would not relent in the midst of his passion to save us because of the Father's foreordained plan of salvation for the fullness of time. It is why he was resurrected because he perfectly pleased the Father as an absolute sacrifice. It is why he alone sits at the Father's right hand because he cared more to please and satisfy the Father than his own self. Through and through, prophecies fulfilled because Jesus desires to glorify God and sustain all that God has given him. He so fulfills all of God's plan because there is no other God, including himself, that he would put before God the Father. I'm just going to say again and again uh, throughout all this, this is our king. This is not a king that the world would construct or create for history. This is a king who is not about his own glory, but about making known the glory of God to the lost so that they can have life. Fourth thing, look at Jesus' message. I'm telling you, there's a whole lot packed into 12 and 17. And we put all of it together and we get to his message. So put together all that I just told you. John's being taken into custody. Galilee is a small and lowly esteemed region. Jesus stepping into the darkness. And here's what we know of his ministry. Verse 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The message that John began to herald, I'm sorry, that began to herald the coming of Jesus, Jesus now proclaims as he has come. The message that John began, Jesus proclaims. Look at the phrase kingdom of heaven. That phrase is going to appear about 32 times in Matthew. Kingdom of heaven, that phrase is going to appear about 32 times. You'll find the phrase kingdom of God about five times. And they're saying the exact same thing. The, the Bible expository commentary, just it lays it so well. It says it this way. Out of reverence for the holy name of the Lord, the Jews would not mention God, God but would substitute the word heaven. So the prodigal son confessed that he has sinned against heaven, meaning he has sinned against God. So whenever Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he said that's going to appear about 32 times in Matthew. Five times it's going to be kingdom of God. It's really saying the kingdom of God, but out of reverence they would say heaven, knowing that heaven would connote the idea of God. Okay, so we go a little bit, hold on to that. So it means the kingdom of God. That's what it means. Now you go on, and we've already preached on this, but kingdom is better translated the rule, the reign, the authority. Like any one of those fits the context of what they were hearing then. That here is the reign of God, the rule of God, the authority of God, the kingdom of God is at hand. If we were there and we were in that context, here's exactly what we would hear. The rule of God is at hand. The reign of God is at hand. The authority of God is at hand. Repent. And that's where we sit today. If he reigns, which he does. If he rules, which he does. If he has all authority, which he does. There's only one response. Repent. And that's from the beginning. 
The proclamation of the kingdom, y'all get this, was a declaration of his rule, reign, and authority. Our king has come for them and for us. And the only response is repentance. And we might sit there and go, I don't have a lot to repent from right now. I mean, it's been a pretty good 24 hours. By God's grace, it has. But when we catch that sin in our life, we actively repent. You know why? Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He reigns. We repent. So that's how his ministry really begins. Goes to the lowliest esteemed region. He walks into the darkness. He begins to shed his light and his message is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now we're to the next passage, the next part. Matthew 4, 18 through 22. And this is our point. Jesus' followers respond to his call immediately. And these next two points are going to go progressively faster. It says in verse 18, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And so we really see two things. And, and I'm, I'm sure you're catching some of this. I just want us to slow down and like, make sure that we're, 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 we are catching it. So first thing that we see is that Jesus calls Simon Peter, so Simon Peter, Andrew, James, and John to follow him, and they respond immediately. He calls, he says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And then you get, verse, you get these verses. It says, their response, so clear, immediately they left their nets and followed him. It's in verse 20. And then very soon after that, in 22, immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. The key word there is what? Immediately. It's there. Read the book of Mark. And one of the most recurring words, if not the most recurring word, is immediately. Everything in the book of Mark is immediately. Immediately Jesus went up. Immediately Jesus did this. Immediately the disciples did it. There was an immediacy to the ministry and that we see all throughout Mark. And we see that their response to his call is an immediate response. Here's what I think we can do. Because they, they were just men. There's plenty of books written about these ordinary men. But you and I need to also be humbled by the fact this, that this was extraordinary faith. These are ordinary men of extraordinary faith. I should be humbled by their response. Because Jesus calls me to do things. And you know what I'm really good at doing? Let's, let's, let's consider this though, Lord. Um, I know you want me to do it. But have we considered these? And I want to like advise God. I want to help him like figure out his wisdom just a little bit more. I want to make suggestions, advise, counsel God if he will counsel it. Like I've, I'm probably the only sinner because y'all are all looking at me like, you do that. He's God. Okay, because you're all guilty of the same thing. We don't respond always with this immediacy that is so humbling that we see in this men. As Jesus would go to Galilee, obedient to God's will for his life, so these disciples will go to Jesus wherever it is that he's going to send them. Scholars have 
and, and theologians. Whenever I say scholars and theologians, I mean like because I'm studying commentaries and trying to wrap my head around it. Some of them spend so much time about what these fishermen were thinking when they responded. Well, they knew of these things and, and they were considering these things and they would have known this. Scripture does not reveal any of their thoughts. It records their response. We wait. You just got to be careful of, that we don't like project in, into their minds what we don't actually know to be true. We can know how we would feel and we can project. We can know what they may have thought. And there's a difference in that. But they respond. What we see in these four men is a faith following that should humble us, church. Here are these hardworking men who leave all so they can have the opportunity to follow Jesus. Like, that's what we have. The next thing I want you to get, or that I want to make sure we see is, it's very important, Jesus initiates the call to these fishermen. He's the one walking by the Sea of Galilee. He's the one who calls out to them. He calls out to them. They don't call out to Him for all the mysteries of salvation that we cannot fully appreciate. Right? We can't understand how all of this actually works, but I do believe that there is one incredibly clear um, concept throughout all of Scripture, and it's this, that God begins the work of salvation. We can drink coffee, and we can split so many hairs and Scriptures trying to figure out what stage of salvation presupposes another stage of salvation. Is, there, is it this camp or this camp? Which one's got the right doctrine? I think that the scriptural um, doctrine is clear that God begins the work of salvation. And if anybody says that God begins the work of salvation, then, then I'm fine wherever they land. I'm not going to sit here and push predestination and election whenever someone um, is someone who probably holds more to an Arminian interpretation. If they believe that God begins a work of salvation and that they are saved by His grace, then I'm okay. Now, as you get to know me more, you're going to know very clearly where I am. But I just refuse to divide over something that is not really the main point. The main point is that our God has saved us. So here's what I want to push into. I think it's clear throughout all Scripture that God begins the work of salvation. So, so just think about it. We have a God who throughout Scripture initiates we just get a small glimpse of it in this passage, but we see throughout all Scripture, our God initiates and He saves. Our God is not one who merely waits for us to one day discover Him, but a God who has come and a God who beckons and a God who reveals and a God who calls. This is our God. That's why we pray for the lost. If we knew that we could save them, if we knew we could convince them, if we knew we could manipulate them, if we knew that it was just an emotional appeal, then there would be absolutely no reason to pray to God. But we pray to God because He's the God who calls. And so we're praying, God, call them. Walk by the Sea of Galilee. Dunk them in the water if you need to. Like, get their attention. Whatever it is, God, call them. Shine your light on them. We pray because He hears us. We know from John chapter 3, verses 3 through 9, that the Spirit of God moves powerfully wherever it, will, wherever it will. And wherever it wills and whatever it does, it awakens a heart and it calls to us. And you and I were busy with our own fishing nets, except that God came by and said, Ricky, and I responded in faith. 
And that's why we go to the lost, because we may very well be that voice through whom God speaks to an unbelieving world so that he can call them to his side. But if we don't go, we're not fulfilling the ministry that we're told in Corinthians, the ministry of reconciliation, God making his appeal through us. But don't, don't, don't neglect this. He went. Jesus went. John stood in the wilderness and called others to come to him to hear about the glories of God and to repent. But Jesus didn't stay in the wilderness. He went and he goes and he goes and he's always going from one place to another. Wherever the lost are, that's where he is. Wherever the sick are, that's where he goes. Wherever they need to hear of the kingdom, that's where he is. Our God is one who comes and who came for us. So just to kind of bring our faith back into line, lest we be proud and and pound our own chests, we did not discover God. He found us. He was not lost, we were. We were busy with distractions, and He initiated. He called out with an awakening voice, and our hearts saw the majesty and the glory of this incredible King, and we followed Him. He called, and they responded. That's what we see there. And they responded immediately. What incredible faith, church, they model for us. That's what it should look like. But what an incredible Savior that he would even call. And then this final section, Jesus' ministry. Y'all, Jesus' ministry was magnificent from the beginning. Like, from the beginning. Like, it's just magnificent. So I am going to intentionally not add many notes to this. Okay, I don't feel like I need to expound at the end of this passage except to just highlight a couple of things. But I'm going to add emphasis throughout this passage to make sure that we really get what's fully going on. But I think Scripture does a pretty good job of showing us how magnificent it is. It's not that it wasn't magnificent. It's that our hearts are cold. We don't, we don't dwell in it enough. Okay, so understand that the emphasis that I'm about to add is totally mine. It's not in the original um, um, transcript. Um, as I'm reading it, I'm just making sure that we get some of these things, and I'll, I'll add a little couple of, I just call them like walking notes as we walk through the passage. I just kind of do a little um, note here and there. But I want to do the whole passage. I want to walk through it. So here's what it says. And he, Jesus, went throughout all Galilee, I'm just reading through first, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick. Those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. That's how I would read it in my quiet time. Like, got your coffee, you're at your desk, it's a nice morning, kids are asleep. And so we just read it and we mark it off and we forget the emphasis. So... Walking, walking toward through this as we just let it build. And he went throughout. Remember, emphasis is mine, not in the original. So I might do something wrong on emphasis. You might have said a different word, but I think that these are good and necessary for us to be equipped. And he, Jesus, went throughout all Galilee, all of it, y'all, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease. His ministry included three components that we're going to see over and over again. Teaching, proclaiming, and healing. You're going to see it all throughout Matthew. 
Jesus' ministry was teaching, proclaiming, and healing. It's a ministry that he began with, and he continues it throughout his entire life until he's nailed upon the cross. Teaching, proclaiming, and healing. And what's he heal? Every disease, every disease, and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick. I think that's all is worth underlining. So is every time you see the word every. And because of the grammatical structure, like that's a, a, um, of parallelism, you can read the rest of it just like this. I'm adding in the word all because of parallel structure. So we really get it. So I'm going to start back in 24. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, all those afflicted with various diseases and pains, all those oppressed by demons, all those having seizures, and all paralytics, and he healed them all. Like, that's what's going on in that one passage. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. And do you know why they would follow this Jesus? Because his ministry was magnificent. He was doing, he was doing something really, truly incredible. And because of this magnificent Messiah, he cannot be stopped and they knew it and they just follow him. They marvel over and over and over what they see him doing and they bring him more sick and he heals them all. This goes on and on. Y'all, the kingdom of heaven, the rule of God is at hand in Jesus Christ and all the darkness and sickness and sin could not stop his power and his authority. He stopped them and people marveled and followed him. That's what's going on in 12 through 25. Jesus's Ministry begins, and it is amazing. We sit here today looking back at history, and sometimes we forget this isn't just history. This is eternity-shifting truth. Big takeaways. All of this reveals to us a most intentional God who has come to save a people unto himself, a people just like us, a Galilee just like us. He did not, Jesus did not declare his glory and demand that the nations just come to him and find him, but he began his ministry on the move, going into the darkness so that he may be a dawning light. He does it first in Galilee, and that dawning light, like the prophecy said, has spread around the horizons, around the world, to reach even us. We're going to end in Revelation chapter 7. The light dawned in Galilee, and in Revelation 7, we get a glimpse of how radiant and magnificent it truly is. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 12. Oh man, it says, After this I looked. And behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces and before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Y'all in Galilee, 
our light has dawned. And we get to see the fullness of it one day. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you give us clarity. And Lord, that you help us to understand these scriptures more and more as we read them. Lord, whatever I said that, that where I misspoke, Lord, or, or wasn't clear on something, or Lord, was a waste of breath. Lord, I do pray that, that you let that be forgotten. But Lord, that your word is true and that we cling to it and that we marvel again and again at what you reveal to us. Lord, help us to really lift up Jesus at cross life. Not in just like a theory or an idea or a notion, but Lord, just to, to really truly hold up Jesus Christ is a magnificent one. And Lord, you draw men to you as we lift him up so that they can know the glory of your grace forever and ever and ever. But Lord, keep our hearts warm, warmed by your spirit and by your word. Lord, help us to understand you really are an amazing God. And may we be a most humbled people by that. Amen.